the sound is off on the TV. Hello, everybody. I trust you are now muted. Shalom. I do realize that there must be new people in every single class, but please excuse me if I'm not introducing myself every single time. You want to find out about me? Stay after class. You want to find out about me? Go on the internet. There is plenty of stuff. Ask other people. And as we go, welcome Amy. I'm glad to see you there. And we will start with our PowerPoint presentation that will now go online. So shalom everybody to our class that I have decided to call the second Seder, more poems around the Seder table. And our sponsors tonight are Temple Emmanuel and Rabbi Wesley Garden Swartz. I'm going now to allow people to, uh, to unmute themselves, but I'm asking only Rabbi Wes, or if he is not there, Amy, to do that and to address us for a few minutes. Is that okay? Everybody else, please remain muted. Will you do that? So now, Amy or Wes, you now have the possibility to unmute yourself and please go, whoever is speaking to us. Amy, is that you or is Wes there? It's me. I don't know if Wes is around or not, but... Um, you go. Nobody is, nobody is here to hear me talk, so I'll be very brief. I just wanted to say thank you, Rachel, for your wonderful teaching in this ridiculously difficult time. And at Temple Emanuel of Newton, we love Hartman Learning and we love your part of Hartman Learning. So thank you, thank you, and go for it. Okay, thank you. That was nice and short and sweet. And that's the way we like it. I, listen, I could talk to you about my relationship with Temple Emanuel that you must understand is a, or no, you mustn't understand, but I'm telling you, is very special. A, and let me describe how special it is. It is so special that when I come to Temple Emmanuel, which is now eight years running, and when I'm introduced as when a session begins, Wes goes and takes the mic and said, ladies and gentlemen, Rachel. So by me, Temple Emmanuel is the place where they introduce me by my first name. And let us start with the second Seder, more poems around the Seder table. So some of you have been with us last week, may remember that we did have already a Pesach-related poetry session. And at that time, the title was, This Night is All About Poetry, because you know part of the answers we give at the four questions is that Every other night we eat both chametz and matzah, and this night is all matzah. So an Israeli group of people took that line, made it a title of a book, and called it This Night is All About Poetry, and created a collection, an anthology of Pesach-related poems. We are doing some of that collection, but I went already way beyond uh, with my research to look at other poems. And let me tell you, if there is interest, and you'll let me know through the uh, Facebook group or by emails, of a third Pesach session, we can still do that. 
<laughs> during the hug because I have plenty, plenty of material. Let us look at the page uh, with the content for our meeting tonight. And you may notice that it has something unique. I actually placed a poem as a model for our session. And it's called Every Morning by Arie Sivan. Amy, do you enjoy reading aloud? Because if you do, you know, no, I don't want to go through the unmuting and muting. I'll read it myself. I placed this poem as a model even on top of the program because I want for that thought to linger. If you're thinking, especially about this year and how different the Seder is going to be, probably worth a fifth question, like how different is this Seder from all others darin? But look at Arya Sivan, who is a poet who just passed away a couple of years ago, a Tel Aviv dweller, interesting person, a lot of urban poetry. I taught some of his poems already at Hartman and will do some more, God willing, when we go back. Every morning, a person gets up on the shores of tomorrow's sea and asks himself to cross or not to cross. Now, look at this very short one stanza, one verse, like a haiku Japanese poem, and look how much Sivan have managed to bring into it. Because the every person and every morning is totally a Passover notion. Like every person needs to see themselves as if they are the people and so on. And then there is the uniqueness of the Passover night, which Sivan borrows to life and says, no, the questions can be asked every day because you have a new beginning and a setting up on the road every day as you stand on tomorrow on the shore of tomorrow's seas. And just the perception to transfer the notion of time into the physical notion of land and water in itself to me is amazing. And when you stand there comes the Shakespearean Hamlet question transferred into the excess situation. It's not to be or not to be, but it's to cross or not to cross. Do you take that step that particular morning? Do you postpone it to the next day? Just a model to lead us into our, I, I keep saying tonight because it's night by me, but today's learning. And we will take a thread directly from Sivan to Rachel Khalfi to our first poem, How I Miss the Exodus, which I think is both a very deep poem and a riot at the same time. We will continue with Anda Amir, both of them less known. Most of the names tonight are not so famous names. And I wanted to do this on purpose because, you know, we keep doing Amichai and Alterman. And if you ask me, I'll do Alterman all the time. But I really want to open a greater vista for you. So Saving the Goat Kid by Anda Amir Pinkerfeld, known to Israelis as a children's poetry writer. Most of us raise our kids and our grandchildren on her lullabies and bedtime uh, story rhymes, etc. She who stood uh, will be an interesting take coming from the 
modern orthodox female voice. Elia Liao is also a very interesting and fresh contemporary voice that has poetry that relates to sometimes Mizrahi issues and we'll get to meet him when we do our second Mizrahi session, but tonight something that is general, universal, and we'll come back to that. Those are the plagues by Moise Ben Harush. I need for you to know that as we started the class before we actually hit and started it, I asked for readers and I asked somebody if they were willing to read this because this is an angry poem. And the person said, yes, it suits her mood for today. So let me, before we start, give back to you your privileges, but I'm asking, please, only Lynn, our reader for the first poem, to unmute yourself, to unmute herself, and everybody else, please remain muted. And I must say that if there will be noise, I will have to take away the reading from Lynn, which I hate to do, and read it myself because I really need for everybody to be muted. I want, before I turn it to you, uh, to you, Lynn, and I hope you have unmuted yourself already. I, I want did. to say, okay, thank you. I want to say a word about Rachel Khalki. First of all, look at the spelling. This is how she likes to write her name. And I wonder if that is because she was called Rachel all the time when she didn't like it. I may adopt it. And she comes from a family of poets. I have known her since 67 when she taught me English at the Hebrew University in Jerusalem. So part of what I know comes from her. To me, she is an amazing poet. I actually <coughs> emailed her and asked her to join our class tonight, but she couldn't, but maybe some other time. And Lynn, are you ready and also ready for my nudging and stopping you when I have to stop you as we read? After seven years of RTS, I'm used to it. Thank you. When midnight arrived, I knew I was 40 minutes late for the exodus. I was just about done packing the red suitcase when I remembered I did not pack the hats for the family. Okay, let's stop. Let's stop. I want for you to now sort of take a deep breath and agree to go to that amazing biblical story with tons of symbolism and how that, commanded, that commandment that every one of us needs to see themselves as if they were there getting out of Egypt. And this talented Rachel Khalfi with the tongue in cheek says, yeah, everybody? Well, let me tell you, if it was me, I probably would have been late. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe because she's always late. These are the type of people we never think about. The Exodus is not something everyday and mundane for us. And she takes that mitzvah of thinking literally as if you were there and translate it into her reality. And she says, let me tell you, me, I would have been late. Let's continue now. And we were expecting a walk in the scorching desert sun for 40 years. So I dragged the ladder from the yard to the shed there I'm among sorry. the summer there among yeah. the, the summer clothes, 
were all the hats tightly packed. And until I managed to unite the threads around the packages of garments, and until I swallowed a few sips or gulps of water to strengthen my soul, weary of the exhausting preparations for departure, and until I sat down for a bit in the corner of the shed, I bit into an apple and fell asleep. So for a minute. So we have a long sequence and you can feel it. You know the thing when you're getting ready for a journey and you schlep this and that in the suitcase and you unpack and the thing that you needed, it's going to be a long journey, maybe like sending the kids on camp and their stuff is on camp, uh, you know, tied up, etc. And you need a sip of water and you need to sit down. And then we go into land, the land of the symbolic, because you know, in Jewish tradition, a woman eating an apple, a roadie will take you into another realm, okay? So she bit into an apple and then she falls asleep. So the apple will transform you, if you wish, into a different level of understanding, insight into the situation. Please continue, Lynn. And when I woke up panicking, how could I fall asleep for an apple? How could I be beguiled by the snake? How come I'm still so gullible, not getting the greatness of the hour, the sign that was given, the destiny of the people? How just could a, I- Just a minute, just a minute. Look at these big words, because we just come mm. from the water and the packing and the hat and the red suitcase and all this balagan. And then she allows herself a moment of transcendence which of which she wakes panicking that she is not getting it that there is something happening that is huge and she doesn't have the vocabulary she doesn't understand it so i'm taking you back to that early mitzvah each one of us needs to see themselves are you sure that had you been there you would get the moment would you understand exodus would you understand redemption you understand what becoming a people means? And let me add a Rachel Korozim question. Do we now? Are we aware of these things happening around us, needless to say? Are we not waking in panic? Please continue, Lynn. Um, the greatness of the hour, the sun. Oh, okay. The greatness of the hour, the sign that was given, the destiny of the people. How come I did not yet get what a people is? What is destiny? What does it mean to turn reverse fate? And until I emerged from the hut and arrived running and limping while dragging along the red suitcase and everything in it, including the water skin and the hats for the whole family, and until I reached- Hold it. Hold it. Mm -hmm. So look at this sort of shift like pendulum movement from the reality that is like today, red suitcase and hats, do we know that they have hats there? To the water skin that is then, to the greatness of the moment that is then and now, and she keeps, we keep shifting with her, you know, like waves from one level to the other. Yes, please continue, Lynn. Um. Until I reached until and until I reached the shores of the of the Sea of Reeds, all my family members, the whole people, all the neighborhood families who came out of the uh, the baked sand huts, 
all of them, including that bitch, you know, the one who made me lose the taste for lengthy wandering. Is it wanderings or wanderings? For lengthy wandering, my mistake. Wanderings with the likes of her until I reached the seashore. Okay, 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 okay. Hang on. She is just trying to understand that she didn't get the idea of the people. And we think about the people of Israel. And just like we haven't thought about the woman who might have missed it, maybe we neglected to think about the bitch we didn't want to walk by. They didn't all love each other at the Exodus, did they? They were just normal people having to do great stuff alongside people they hated and thought they were bitches and whatever. So look at the beauty that Rachel Khalfi can really translate or, or give a midrash, if you wish, on the Exodus and take us to the minute details that suggest, you know, think of the complexity. Look at it as a tapestry, tapestry with all sort of little details in it, including the bitch you don't want to walk with. Okay, let's continue. They were all far, far away, like pinheads in the deep valley in the dry land that gaped, gaped among huge waves. And when the waters returned with Pharaoh's chariots and his horses and horsemen and the whole whirlwind of the Egyptian army, I could not jump into the water since I don't know how to swim. And I am still carrying a post-trauma from that time when I drowned in the Nile and was rescued by a she-crocodile. Okay, let's stop. <laughs> Let's stop. Like, can you see one of the people getting out of Egypt being just right after some sort of therapy and having gone through a trauma and then they are afraid to come by the sea? Maybe this is why she was late. And what is this crazy fantasy of being rescued by a she-crocodile? And why, why is it more fantastic than being rescued by the princess of Egypt, you know? Both are crazy notions. And she had, she had a fantasy. She was afraid. She was really rescued by a she-crocodile. We don't know. But the people back in Egypt, says Rachel Khalfi, they were people like us with traumas and fears and weird dreams and what have you. And how could I face the water when I had this post-trauma from the time I almost drowned? Let's continue and conclude. No chance that I will manage to catch up with my people. Um, there, on the other shore of the sea, there was no chance I will make it. A tired, solitary woman, downtrodden with a red suitcase. There was no chance I could gulp down the hugeness of the dry land that, meanwhile, had turned into a giant tsunami wave. No chance whatsoever. I could not raise my voice and yell, wait for me, just a minute. My voice filled my head, echoing, echoing, bouncing against its walls. It would not be heard anyway. I stayed where I stood, my mouth wide open. I was frozen as a salt column, freezing a shout from hundreds, hundreds of years ago. This is how I missed the great exodus towards redemption. I did not cross the sea nor the dry land. I did not even get wet by water. This is how I never left Egypt. This is the last line. Please mute yourself, Lynn. Thank you for an amazing reading. We couldn't have had a better one. I really loved it and thank you so much for it. And I would like for you to now look at this 
additional little text that I put on for you. The repetition of the Mishnah Mitzvah. In every generation, a person must regard himself as though he personally had gone out of Egypt. Hey, Mishnah, and why if he did, what if he didn't? And what if it was a she? And what if she had traumas? And what if she couldn't catch up with the others? And did they wait for everybody who lingered behind? And was there somebody who didn't want to leave? Just the complexity. And I think there is no better year or time to read a poem like this that makes us look at people separately and not just the whole people together. And this is the call I think that we get from Rachel Khalfi tonight. And I really, really hope that you have enjoyed it because I really love her poetry and I like for others to love it as well. I wish I had time to let people speak, but I'm looking at our attendee list and so can you. There are 231 entries into our class and that means we are near 300 with many, many places that have two people. So I'm just asking people who would like to comment to note down what you would like to say, because you remember that I'm staying after class with those who want to speak, and then there will be a few less, and maybe we can speak some more. And I'm going to move to the second one. And this one I have kept for myself to read for a reason. Anda Amir Pinkerfeld is a person of my childhood. She's a person of me being a young mom and to some extent even a little bit of me being a safta because some of her children's books linger and even my grandchildren, although we do have many new children's books as you must have in your country and your different countries, but for example, this one, Hadubon Palasavon, the teddy bear swallowed the soap, is all about helping kids, you know, to have fun at washing up and using soap and all that. And the illustrations by Yossi Abulafia are totally contemporary, while Anda Amir Pinkerfeld is long not with us. Like many Israelis of her generation, she comes from Galicia, from Eastern Europe, and she writes poetry, she also edits books, but the poem about saving the goat kid is there is something unique about it, and I would like for you to know a bit, a part of her biography, which is pertinent to that. At a certain point, immediately after the War of Independence, which is 48, 49, and for many years until she retired, over 20 years, she worked for the Ministry of Defense in the department that deals with the commemoration of soldiers, fallen soldiers. And because she was a writer, it was her job to interview families and to write or friends and to write their biographies. And when later on Israel creates this internet site, the Yizkor, that is about every single soldier who fell in battle in the wars of Israel, the pages dealing with the early years were written by Andamir. Also, 
the collection of stories about soldiers who fought in the War of Independence called Gvilei Esh, Scrolls of Fire, are also based on her work, not only, but she laid the foundation. I'm telling you all this so that we understand that this person who started life and for a major part of it was writing poetry for children, you know, as I told you, bedtime rhymes and lullabies and little funny stories for kindergarten teachers to read. She also, in her day job, if you wish, was dealing with nothing but fallen soldiers and seeing this endless list of killing and killing and dying. And for her comment about it, and to the best of my knowledge, maybe one of her few comments about it, letting us feel how she felt, she is writing Saving the Goat Kid. So this is taking us to the Haggadah. And, Amir. and look at the tone. Isn't it exactly as if you are writing a bedtime rhyme for children or a story for the kindergarten to read to the kids? You know what I shall do this say the night? Like you address the kids and you address them in the form of a question, which is the question's the beginning of the Seder, but she sort of creates a bridge over the whole Haggadah and she asked the question, please mute yourself. And she asked the question about the end of the Haggadah, the Haggadah story. You know what I shall do this Seder night? I will hide the Haggadah kid. The cat will not know at all where it is and will not eat it. It will come and say the kid is not here. And you hear it's totally a children's story. The dog will not avenge it. Not the stick, nor the burning fire, nor water, nor even the goring ox. For I will take the kid, I will hide it well, and no harm will ever happen again. You know what it made me think about? There is this notion, I think, in Asimov science fiction books, that if you move one object from a place at a time, it will change the whole history. And Anda Amir realizes that this middle age incantation about an endless cycle of killing may somehow have foretold what is to come. So she is going back to the beginning of mythology and she will do the one little act she will hide the goat kid. And if she saves the goat kid, if she saves the kid, then the cat will not and the dog will not and all the way to Malach Mavit. All you need is to hug and hide and protect the kid and everything will be fine. To me, this is an extremely touching poem. It is this totally sense of helplessness of not being able, I always, I even chose this particular picture where she had this very sad look on her face and I can see her day after day writing up the histories and the stories of these kids who were not saved and ending up with this. 
and it could very well function as a children's rhyme, but my God, it is not. It is not at all. It is a very serious Israeli, maybe not only Israeli, mother's, woman's attempt to change, to hold back, to hug, so no ill, no harm will ever, ever happen. Oi, I would love to have a discussion, but I cannot, so I'll just take a deep breath and we will turn the page and leave Anda. And I'd like you to look at the picture that we have from Annie Haggadah. And it relates to one of the songs we sing, Vehi She'amda. I trust you know it and even can sing it. But I'd like for us to read the English translation with the beautiful picture of a Haggadah. And it is this, he. The Hebrew has the feminine gender, of course. It's not who, it's he. And what is the he? The Torah that has stood by our ancestors for us. For not only one enemy has risen up against us to destroy us, but in every generation they rise to destroy us. But the Holy One, blessed be he, delivers us from their hand. So look at the issue of the she figure who stands up and then the deliverance from God to freedom. And now I'm taking you to a, the Galilee, to a place which is Oranim. Oranim is a sort of a college and also used to be a teacher's seminary. But the Midrasha in Oranim has lots of educational activities I've worked with them in the past. They do a lot of things with Jewish communities. I think they actually do something with the Boston-Israel-Haifa uh, exchange because they are near Haifa. I think Roberta, who works there, has been to Boston a couple of times. One of their many activities is to do joint secular religious or orthodox or modern orthodox activities together to explore this Jewishness of secular Israel, the Israeliness of more uh, observant Israel, etc. And here is the result of a group of women who uh, created a totally women Haggadah. It comes from the orthodox side of Israeli society. I wanted you to see the pictures of the women with covered hair. One of them is a sort of like a kova, a hat, but the other is a more traditional headgear. And they are starting to create, this is like something that started 10 years ago, up till this year where nobody had those things, but uh, they had on the first of Sivan, the beginning of the month of Sivan, which we just had a few days ago, a women's seder at the Midrasha at this college. And it's out of those darim that this text evolved. So they take the expression, she who stood, and now Talia Glazer, who is one of the initiators of this group, gives us this poem. And do I have a reader for it? Did I ask somebody to read it? Because I don't see a yes. name. That... Yes. Yes. So please, un please unmute yourself. And all the others, please mute yourself. You got me? Yes, go. Okay. Hang on for a minute. Raya Dreben, please mute yourself. Thanks. Please. Okay, if you don't know how, I will. 
You got me, Rachel? Yes, yeah, now you're, yeah, go. Please read. Okay. He who okay. stood. She who stood and cleaned and washed and shined and cassered and immersed in boiling water and held it to the fire and got deeply burnt with caustic soda and ruined her clothes with bleach and cooked and broiled and baked and prepared six Seder plates and set a table for 30 guests and laundered and ironed clothes for the holiday. She who stood and served and cleared the meal, she who stood at pour out your wrath, did not get to sing Hallel and Chagadia. She laid down her head for a moment and fell asleep. Stay with us for a moment because there is another part coming, but I just wanted to stop here and divide this because I was raised on a story like this. You know, one generation back, I come from an Orthodox family in Budapest. And my mom told the story about her mother, my grandmother, whom I was fortunate to have enough to have until age eight, that she was exactly like this. She always fell asleep at the Seder table. And how my grandfather used to be mad at her for doing that. And how she tried so hard. So when I saw this poem, it was so like, wow, it really happens. They work so hard that they fall asleep. And now comes Dalia Glazer and concludes the poem. And will you read it? Me? Yeah. Okay. And Miriam, the prophetess, came to her in a dream. She came to have a sip of her cup and said to her, Hang on, hang on, hang on. So in this Seder, it's Miriam who has a cup, not Eliyahu. Did you notice that? I we are changing the Seder. It's now Miriam who has a cup at the Seder. Excellent. She said, she said, daughter, has the time of your freedom not come yet? It's in your hands. You are the manager of the home, and the good manager does not do everything herself, she delegates. Delegate tasks to your family, each according to their age and ability. Yes, that includes your husband. Except the fact that not all will be perfect. That's part of your freedom. You can even assign tasks to your guests as well. So you too can say, we all recline. If you learn to run your home like this, Pesach will be your time of freedom. And maybe next year, you'll stay awake till Chad Gadya. Okay. So I'd like to pay, pay attention here to two things beyond the general story, which I love, okay? To switch the classical, traditional she who stood, which was Torah, to the woman who stands and cleans and cushions, etc., and again, the very detailed things of how a Seder comes into being, which is great. But also, I like to pay attention, and the Miriam Cup, but I like to pay attention, particular attention, to the moment if you learn to delegate and not kill yourself, one of the things that will happen is that it will not be perfect. And that is part of your freedom. 
And I'd like for every single one of us, I was going to suggest women, but I think it applies to men as well. How many times have we placed ourselves in a position that we'd rather do everything ourselves because we do not trust anybody else to do it the way we think is right, the way we think is perfect. And Talia Glaser, beyond the feminist message, has here, I think, a message to all of us who may have this need to totally control everything. Do I know something about it? I'm pr practically looking in the mirror as I say this. And to let go and to accept that maybe the glasses along the Seder table will not be in a straight line, God forbid. And I will die. No, I will not die. The Seder will be fine even if the line is crooked, you know? And this ability, again, that we see along all the poetry that I have shown you so far, to look at the minute details. Freedom is not the big thing that that woman didn't get. It's just, you know, it's just to be free of the compulsion to do everything and to be able to look right. But the last thing is the most touching to me. If you manage to do that, maybe next year, she knows it's not gonna happen this year. She knows how hard it is to make it happen. And therefore she sort of, you know, you know, okay, take your time. I know it's hard to be like that. Let's hope maybe for next year, you will reach the end of the saga. Okay, so a totally different angle coming from that particular side of Israeli observant population, the modern observant who will find their place in these joint frameworks, such as the Oranim College, which I totally, totally admire. Okay, so I wonder, you know, we are doing well with time. Why don't I stop for a second? because I've been nice to you and still let you have the privilege of unmuting. I'm going to have two, maybe three voices who would like to speak shortly to any of what we have seen so far. The anda with keeping the goat, the freedom in accepting not everything to be perfect, and the one who missed the exodus. Any of those, all women, by the way, if you have something to say to that, please unmute yourself, say your name, and then everybody else remains muted. Anybody? Hi, this is Elaine. This is Hi, Elaine. Thank you. Um, I, when we read the poem about the kid, I was thinking of the Alterman poem that we read earlier, where the yeah. father. So imagine the father takes the little goat and cradles it and it kisses his nose, but then she, she takes it and she hides it so mm -hmm. it can't be harmed. And, okay. and to me, they sort of go together in a, in, a, in a certain way. Okay, thank you. People, please mute yourself. Lainey, Raya. Yeah, if I wanted to speak next, if possible. Uh, so I, I love this poem, absolutely. Love Hang on. Yes, okay. And um, you know, it's funny. My children moved to Colorado. I live in Teaneck, New Jersey. My children moved to Colorado. And all my life, I've changed my dishes and I've gone through the whole bow of getting ready for Pesach. 
And last year, for the first time, we spent uh, Pesach in, in Colorado, which we would have this year if the situation wasn't the way it is. And before that, I was spending it with my, my brother and sister and their families and some other people. Please but, keep your comments but The yeah. thing, okay, okay, I'll make it quick. But my freedom came when, when I decided that I was going out there and I was staying at a VRBO, vacation rental by owner, that it wasn't going to change the dishes. I was just going to go by the ingredients. And so I was able to give this one to do a, uh, this one could cook and this one could cook and this one could cook. And that was my freedom because I was able to not worry about the dishes. And so I found my freedom. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. I'm going to now mute all of you and take away your unmute privileges. No, I'll, you know what? Here's the deal. I'm going to ask all of you to mute yourself. Can you do that now? Suzanne and everybody, mute yourself. Because if you don't do that, I'll have to mute you and I need my next reader. Okay? So we had... Phyllis with She Who Stood, and we are going to Andy Katz, just Andy Katz. Everybody else remains muted. And Andy, please wait until I bring back my PowerPoint, will you? Okay, thank you for that. And it will take one more second. And here we are. And we are going to meet Eli Eliyahu. So Eli Eliyahu is a poet that I must admit I didn't know, a friend who is part of this class, only she is not participating tonight, uh, made me aware of his poetry. And for the last week or so, I have spent reading his poems, listened to the poems that were set to music. And this is a very rich, creative writer. He's about 50 years old, born in Israel, studied in Israel. I think he's accumulating most of the major awards for poetry and literature in Israel, and we will be learning more of his work as we go. This one is interesting because it goes back to she who stood, yet it, it's about the notion of cleaning or doing the work, but if, if that was a little bit, you know, bitchy, if I may say so, this one is soft and really takes us deep with his comment and way of looking at things. So Andy Katz, please read us How to Start by Eli Eliyahu. Andy? Andy, are you there? Okay, so let me try once more. I am now allowing you to unmute yourself, but everybody ah. else remains muted. Okay, okay. It was my... okay, I'm coming back to the PowerPoint. Give me a sec here. And we are back to Ellie and now. I'm sorry, my mistake. Okay. Go. How to start. Okay. How to start. Maybe I should start cleaning up my life. Start. Okay. Okay. So look, just from the first sentence, Andy, I'm sorry. You know I'm stopping you. That's okay. Just from the first sentence, if the Talia Glazer poem was literally about really wet your hands and the caustic soda 
and clean the house and clean the dishes and change everything and kill yourself with that, from the first line, the notion goes in a different direction. It's not about cleaning the dishes. Maybe you should start elsewhere as you're getting ready for this holiday of freedom. Something else needs to be cleaned every year in the spring. Now continue, Andy. Start, but with what? Maybe I'll check out a thin fear that has accrued over the years and cobwebs of guilt spun silently at night. Just a minute, um, just a minute, just a minute. The things that we need to be cleansed of are fear and guilt. Fear and guilt accumulated over the years. Please continue. Or maybe I'll roll up the loneliness that lay inside from wall to wall and clean beneath it so the floor of my soul will shine again as though it had never been trod upon. Maybe Hang on again, again, again. This ritual cleaning is described in terms of physical train, the cleaning. You need to go underneath, like underneath a cupboard or underneath a bed, but this time it's in your soul. So check yourself for a minute. What does it mean to go underneath in your soul? What does it mean to wash the floor that it never gets trod upon again? What kind of soul cleansing do you need to do so that happens? Please, everybody who is not speaking, mute yourself. Please continue, Andy. Or maybe postpone it to another day. After all, it's still possible to walk here, and through the windows, it must be said, there's still a view of the world. And moreover, this poem, the inside thereof inlaid with love. Okay. So after you did all that, hey, this poem is not calling you only for introspection. Part of the getting ready that you figured out where to start does not end only go inside, go inside introspection. Uh-uh. Remember that there is a window. Remember looking outside. And there is inside that is inlaid with love that comes from in, that comes from out. So as I said, as compared to the, you know, humoristic tone and maybe a little bit bitchy tone and a little bit that that we had so far, Ellie is sort of leading us into a lullaby of a cleaning that will not burn your hands with caustic soda, but will demand finding out that corner, that places in your heart that need that cleansing. Keep Ellie Eliyahu in your mind about the softness and this ease of going into a different type of cleaning before Pesach as we move to the next one, because here the tone will be angry. And I know a little bit about the gentleman who wrote this, and I will want you to get to know him. So this is Moise Benarouche. He comes from a Spanish Morocco. And start reading, please. Davida, unmute yourself. Can you do that? You cannot. Let me check if I can help you. Yeah, you can unmute yourself. There is no problem. I let you do that. Just get ready. 
do you have the text or do you want to see it on the screen? No, we have the text. Okay, go. The plagues. Those are the plagues. And there was the plague of birth, the plague of parents, the plague of teachers. Hey, 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 slowly. The plague of birth. And there was the plague of birth, the plague of parents, the plague of teachers, and the plague of uncles, the plague of family, the plague of Arabs, the plague of Aliyah, the plague of Zionism, the plague of Jews, the plague of helplessness. And for every plague I was struck by on land, I was struck with 50 others in the sea and 250 above the sea until my wife came held me, hugged me, and showed me all the beauty in the world, all the beauty above the plagues. Oi. Now, I know Moise Benarouche a little through my son. Moise Benarouche is a, the winner of a very important Yuda Michai Award for Poetry in Israel. And the book for which he got award who is drawing on our board do we have kids playing there could you please stop it <laughs> okay he won the amichai award and the book for which he got the amichai award was published in the publishing house owned by my son at the time so uri became friendly with moise he put me in touch with him and this is how i learned about this intellectual who made Aliyah from Spanish Morocco and find it very, very hard to find himself a place and a space in Israel. To this day, he writes in Hebrew, but also in French, also in Italian. He has a very universalistic culture. And I'd like you to, to see and to appreciate the tension between the two very different parts of his poem. He uses the symbol, the metaphor of the plagues in order to go over his life. And he starts as if in the therapist's room to describe the difficulties of all his life. There was the plague of birth and the plague of parents. So you can see this teenager in the room of the therapist complaining about the big problems because of his mother, because of his father, because they are fighting, because of who knows what, they don't understand him. And that the teachers, oh, that in itself is terrible. And uncles, the big family, you know, you're facing the Seder, you know how to meet all those people, you don't like them. And then you live among Arabs, that was difficulty. A difficulty. And then Aliyah, you think that was easy? That was even more difficult. And this whole idea of Zionism and Jews maybe fighting each other and your total helplessness to do anything about it. And then he goes into discounting the endlessness, the repetitiveness of it. And for every plague I was struck by on the land, I was struck with 50 others in the sea and 250 above the sea. And now again, take a deep breath. And there's a whole shift and change. And 250 above the sea until my wife came, 
held me, hugged me, and showed me all the beauty in the world, all the beauty above the plagues. And you can see this total shift of life when a person finds a true love and that love of his life, his wife, makes him look at things totally differently and nothing at all is worth the trouble and all the things he thought he was so miserable for stop being that because everything she did was above the plague. Now, I don't know how many of us are fortunate to have that experience in life, to have lived through one or more difficult periods of disappointment, bad relationship with friends, with family, with background, with politics, and then a person appears in your life and changes everything. And it's worthwhile even as we think and just use the metaphor of the plagues and the redemption, which is the basic metaphor of Pesach, to turn it, as Moïse suggests, towards our own life. So if remember, Sivan took us from the everyday Pesach experience. Now as we conclude the cycle, not our class, we still have a very important poem to look at, but this one I'm reading this time, and this one you all remain muted with no privilege to create noise in the class, nor to draw on my board, I hope. So we saw a whole cycle of, I think, mainly individual looks. All these poets, but and uh, are contemporary. They are still with us, they are still creating. And this is an amazing example for us to see how the themes of the Haggadah, very much like biblical themes, are still inspiring to modern Israeli, Jewish, and maybe universal roles. But now I want to take you to a different realm, and that will be the last topic of our class tonight. So say goodbye to Moïse Ben-Harush and see how many books he had published and in how many languages, and you may want to look him up. And now we come to Chava Alverstein, and I need to take you to the year 1989. This is the time of the first Intifada. This is the time where Palestinians riot in whatever you want to call it, Judea, Samaria, West Bank, occupied territories. Israeli soldiers are doing whatever their orders tell them to do in order to maintain law and order, but a lot of what they do comes under criticism. And Israel starts being divided along these lines of how to behave and how to act in that endless situation of ruling over another people. It is at that time when a major, very important artistic voice, Chava Alberstein, who is both a lyric and a lyric writer and a composer, she will go back to the Chadgadia story and write her own Chadgadia. And you can see that at the Israeli radio, there is a stamp on it not to be broadcasted. And the reason for that is do not broadcast. Why? Because it is depressing and serves the oppressors of Israel. 
It is depressing and serves the oppressors of Israel. This verdict, if you want, or opinion or ruling comes straight from the office of the prime minister at the time who was Yitzhak Shamir. So this song is not to be broadcasted. Now, let me be clear about it. And I do session about different types of censorship in Israel because they existed and still exist in our country and autistic censorship, that there are different levels of it. And the fact that as a song or a piece of art is forbidden to be broadcasted on the radio, it does not mean that we will not hear it. Because they are, these artists have shows and they appear in clubs and they appear at major events and that was not prohibited. So I, I want you to understand the power of censorship in Israel but still, it could not be broadcasted on the radio, which is a thing, and also which will tell that a singer like Hans Arbeinstein will not be invited to perform by certain um, parts of the Israeli population. So let us start looking back at the wording of a, this. I did not put it on the screen, so I hope you have your text with you. And anyway, a major part of it is the classical Chadgadia uh, story. So I'm reading slowly that which you know. Our father bought for two Zuzim, one kid, one kid. Our father bought a kid for two Zuzim, so the legend says. The cat came and preyed on the kid, a little kid, a white kid. The dog came and bit the cat that preyed on the kid that our father bought, our father bought for two Zuzim, one kid, one kid. Go down that side, and I'm going to the last verse, here on the first side, left-hand side. And the ox came and drank the water that had quenched the fire, that burned the stick, that beat the dog, that beat the cat. The cat that ate the father bought, our father bought for two Zuzim, etc. And the slaughterer came, and then I'm jumping again. Then came the angel of death and killed the slaughterer that had slaughtered the ox, that had drunk the water, that had quenched the fire, that burned the stick, that beat the dog, that beat the cat, etc. Our father bought for two Zuzim, and now we come to the part that matters. Why are you singing Chadgadia? Spring has not come yet. Passover isn't here. What had changed for you? What had changed? So first of all, notice that from the theme of the Chodgadia, which is at the end of the Seder, we are now moving with Chava Alberstein, who is questioning herself, to the beginning of the Seder, to the Manishtana, what have changed. So don't rush me to the end, will you? I want to take you back to the beginning. Why are you singing Chadgadia? What has changed? I myself have changed this year. And on all, on all nights, on all nights, I have asked only four questions. Tonight I have another question. How long will the cycle of horror last? Hunter and hunted, beater and beaten, when will this madness stop? And what has changed for you? What has changed? I myself changed this year. 
I used to be a sheep and the calm kid. Today I'm a leopard and a predator wolf. I've been a dove and I've been a deer. Today I do not know who I am. Our father bought for Tuzuzin one kid, one kid. Our father bought a kid for Tuzuzin and we are starting again from the beginning. So here I present you with Jewish text from the Haggadah that becomes the metaphor for a political statement. And Chava Alberstein got the reaction that Israel thought she deserved for that by asking questions and doubting the way our life is run in Israel. However, years go by, we couldn't hear it for many years, then slowly it came back on the radio. Years go by, and you know, other songs come in and we have other protest songs. And then about 10 years ago, a choir called Rana is created in Jaffa where I live. A joint choir of Jewish and Arab women who have adopted Chava Alberstein's song and now singing together in Hebrew and Arabic. And a few years ago, when they started on the Memorial Day for the soldiers and the victims of terrorist acts that is done jointly by bereaved Jewish and Palestinian families, they normally have this choir sing at the end of the ceremony. Let me tell you that that ceremony that is attended by thousands is shunned and criticized by many others for Jews who want to recognize the pain of Palestinians. And it is shunned by Palestinians on the other side who do not see how their own people will stand together with bereaved Jewish families. And yet they do, and yet they have this choir. So it took me a bit on the internet but I found a rendition of the Rana Choir of Chadgadia with English subtitles. So bear with me for a moment. This concludes our teaching, but well, do not leave, please, because I'd like to conclude this with some information about sessions coming up. So give me the time that I need to find that which I want you to listen to. Let me just check this for a moment. I need to share my computer sound with you and now resume the share and let's go. Give me a sign that you can see. Can you hear it? Andy, can you hear it? Somebody to show me with your hands whether you can hear it or not. Lainey, Andy Katz, can you just show me if we are okay? With good, okay, I'm continuing. Just follow the text. <laughs> Let's go. 
as I'm finding my way back to our PowerPoint, I'm thinking that this may be the largest audience that any of us will be spending a Pesach experience with this, this year. And I hope you enjoyed it. I also always enjoy looking at the different faces of the women singing this one. I particularly rejoice in the large audience that welcomes this type of hopeful, hopeful song about a different future. So we'll finish our second Seder, if you wish. And let me know if there are people among you who would be interested at some point to look at additional such poetry. But for tomorrow night, we are marking and honoring the 50th year of the passing of Natal Atterman. It will be the day of his funeral 50 years ago in Tel Aviv. He was not even 60. A major poetic voice in the history of Israel. And he left behind volumes and volumes of poetry and literature. And yet most people remember him for the silver platter, a poem that is ritually read on memorial services for the fallen soldiers in Israel. But it has a very interesting story behind it. So tomorrow night, the silver platter, the story behind the birth of an Israeli poetic icon. That is our plan, ladies and gentlemen, as we are taking leave of those who need to go. And those of you who want to stay, I am here in class. Thank you for all of you who attended this session. And I'm looking forward to see as many of you as can do it tomorrow in the following nights. We have a whole program with us. So tomorrow, the silver platter, we will be doing dialogues with God in modern Israeli poetry. We will do, be doing a session about Chernikovsky. Lots of beautiful stuff. You can see it on our Facebook page. There'll be in about an hour after we are done another posting for tomorrow. There'll be emails to the sponsors who can put it on your synagogue sites. Look out for friends who are not on Facebook and who need your help to get access to the text. Worst comes to worst, email me. I still do it if you need me to do it. Okay? Do not hesitate. It's easier for me if you don't. But if you do not have another solution, please write to me. I will send you whatever you need sent. Have a wonderful rest of the day in California and nice evening in the East Coast and Laila Tov to the Israelis. Lots of live singing on Thursday with two Chazaniyot already we have. I'm waiting for those who want to check out to do just that. And for those who want to stay for a bit of a conversation, we will do that shortly. We were at the top 239 entries tonight. We are keeping up the numbers. And I enjoy the letters some of you are writing to me. They're so touching and beautiful. And I even like the special request. Somebody requested that I don't forget the Rana Choir today. And I was, it was sort of funny because I live in Jaffa, you know, there is no way I would forget the Rana Choir. They are my neighbors. Okay, I'll give it another moment. And if you don't mind a sip of tea. Let me tell you now, we have a routine with Yossi. 
because I don't like to drink very, so he brings a fresh cup in the middle of the session. He has his alarm set for that, and he brings me the cup of tea every evening in the middle of the session, which is really nice. Hi, I am back. How many stayed? 94. Thank you for your patience. Uh, Zoom just kicked me out and then got me back. So thank you for staying. And let us do this the following way. Let me see if you can use your mics. Yes. At this point, I gave you back your unmute privileges. Try to be polite. If somebody wants to speak, say your name. Everybody else stays muted. I'm Joni. Is there a speaker? Right here. Joni Katz from from Newton, Mass. I don't know about yeah. how I missed the Exodus. I um was it was was it was the poetess, was Rachel being dismissive of this person? Was she making fun of this person, or is it just supposed to be a completely whimsical poem? Very serious. To me, it's whimsical, but knowing her a little bit, I think there is this suggestion that I offered at the beginning. Each one of us must think that they have been. Well, let me tell you, had it been me, I would have missed it. And, and I would have told them the person who always is late. <laughs> yeah. So that is my reading of that. And I like it that way. And she's a very fun person. And okay. she was such as a teacher as well. Well, thank you, John. Please thank mute thank yourself you. and let's You're, have another speaker. Yeah, there was a lot of variety. I liked all the poems. Thank you so much. This is Andy Katz about the I'm same glad. Poem. Who is next? Um, this is Andy Katz about the same poem. Uh -huh. Everybody Actually, else mute yourself. Everybody else mute yourself. Yeah. There are two things I wanted to say. One was uh, just a reference. I think she, in the lines that... Um, and I'm still carrying a post-trauma from the time when I was drowned in the Nile, etc. I think this is a reference to Lilith. 
um, who was uh, coming, I don't know the whole story, but the crocodile was a sacred uh, animal to the Egyptians and the elite was there and she was very scary. She's, uh, and she, she was talking about Eve, there may be some kind of Lilith connection here as well. That's one thing. I don't know. The other I thing love is, that. Pardon? Yeah, the, the second. Yeah. The second was, I have a little bit of a darker reading of the poem without knowing the, uh, without knowing the author, but I see it as some kind of criticism of diaspora jewelry. They miss the exodus. If we're all supposed to be at Sinai, they also missed becoming part of the Jewish nation. They weren't in the desert wow. with everybody else. And therefore, they were out of it and they were busy with material things. They were getting their red suitcase ready. They were worrying about that. I don't know the poet. I don't know whether she thought of that, but that's the thing that struck me that it's not just we were okay. all supposed okay. to be at the Exodus, we were all supposed say. to be at Sinai. Okay. So let me tell you the following. I know very little about Lilith mythology. So if you are saying that the crocodile is a symbol, I have to accept it. And please, you know, just go and look it up. Sounds very reasonable. As for the being late, missing the opportunity, not making it diaspora Jews, let me tell you the following. Not a yes or no, because none of us knows, you know. But the suggestion of missing the moment all the way from the Kabbalistic Tzfat story, you know, about the Hasidim who go out to welcome the Shabbat and then they hear the voice, the time has come, Mashiach is coming, and they say, let us just call our wife. So our history is full of missing the moment mythology. So I do not think it only only reflects on the tension between Israel and diaspora Jews. I think it's a way more universal thing about missing opportunities that they are there, not getting it. Okay, that is more my reading, but thank you for your comments. And let me have somebody else just say your name if you want to make a comment, and then everybody else remains muted. Rachel, Lynn Heller. Yeah. Lynn, uh, okay, hi Lynn. Hi, in the poem, Saving the Goat Kid, I'm uh -huh. wondering whether she's not, when well, she's hiding the kid, whether it's not a sort of reference to hiding the Afikoman. And when you find the Afikoman, there's a prize. When you find the kid, what happens? Is there an irony here? When you find the kid, he gets killed. I'm when sorry? When you find the kid, it gets killed. When you right. find the kid, it gets killed. And when you find the Afikoman, you it's get a prize. A... Yeah. There's, 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 an, the there's something opposite. else at the Seder that you hide. You hide the Afikoman. It's a game. This is, this is not a game. This is real life. Yeah. And it's serious. Mm -hmm. So you think it's a criticism on the game. That's a possible no, reading. Never I don't about know, it. but but it's okay. it, it, it's 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 a reference to something else you hide at the seder. You know, it's not safun, but yeah, but but also remember that we are in the very early years of the state of Israel, the fifties, right. and hiding kids may also bring Holocaust-related references right. as well. Okay. Thank you. Lynn, 
thank you for your comment. Please mute yourself and the next courageous person to jump in and say their yeah, name. This is Ida. Um, and I, Hi, want, Ida. I want everybody. Yeah. Yes. I wanted Go. to comment on the, those are the plagues. Because as we uh -huh. were reading, yeah. as, when we were reading them, it's it's sort of a, it's a, a, a right out of the Haggadah where we read the plagues, and then it's Rabbi Akiva, I think it is, who said I never understood the plagues until another rabbi explained them to me, and they were they weren't just ten, they were fifty, and they weren't just fifty, they were two hundred and fifty. Yeah. And I, you know, I, so I thought it was such an interesting parallel. And I have to go back to the Haggadah because I don't remember what the next paragraph is. It certainly isn't until my wife came. I know and that. So, but you know what? That would be an interesting thing to look into. So why don't you do that and write to me? Okay. Karazimagmail.com. Thank you. Please yeah, okay. Thanks. yourself and let's have one more person. Be courageous enough. Say your name. Jump in. Wendy. Hi, Wendy. Everybody else remains muted. Yeah. Hi. It's just the poem about missing the exodus. Uh -huh. When she was talking about packing the case, I immediately thought of the people in the Holocaust. Yeah. We just had to quickly think about what to take, what to stick in a suitcase without ver with very little time, not knowing what they were going into. Those were the kind of thoughts I was having. Oh, wow. Yeah. Also, the red color brings back, you know, the Spielberg movie with the red yeah. coat. Yeah. yeah. It it always works on us. I know, doesn't it? Yeah. Thank yeah. you, Wendy. Thank you. Please remember to mute yourself. And I'm looking for the next person to jump in and say their name. Arlene, just unmute yourself, say your name, and go. Hi, Arlene Chernow in Sherman Oaks, California. Um, I loved how I missed the Exodus. And I love the whole sort of women's point of view that brought you brought in today. And the way I read this is to me, there's more than one Egypt in our life. And I, I kind of see a lot of personal Egypts. And so maybe I crossed the sea on some things, but um, you know, there, there are all those pictures that I never look through the boxes. And you know, I, I miss the exodus. Who is the person who shared their desktop with us? Will you stop doing that? Will you stop doing that? The person who shared their screen. Okay, I just did that. Hi. Okay, guys, just stop doing that. You know, stop sharing your screen, will you? Okay, Arlene, continue. I'll just disregard. Well, I, I think that was it. To me, I thought of multiple Egypts in my life. And, mm -hmm. and, and, you know, like, maybe I crossed the sea on a bunch of things, but there are those things in which I, I, I just never quite get to it. Mm. And that's a very, it's a very personal, narrow reading of it. Um, but, but I, I certainly identified with packing the suitcases. Oh, I forgot that. I forgot that. And, and, and to me, it was just very personal, um, and not, not big. It was just very small and I mean, not small, but very, just very personal. And I really liked it. Thank personal you. Personal is big enough. Personal is very big. Thank you, Arlene, for sharing that. Please remember to mute yourself and let's have one more speaker. Raquel, this is Ned Holstein. 
Yeah. Uh, can you help me with how to start? Because yeah. um, it starts with maybe I should start cleaning up my life. It's very powerful. The theme is very um, introspective and important. And then near the bottom, all of a sudden it's, or maybe postpone it to another day. It seems like such a uh, cynical transition, or maybe cynical isn't the right word, but it seems like it's just uh, destroying the power of what came first. Could you talk just about the last I, five what, what I can say, and I didn't want to go all the length with that, but if the whole move towards introspection ends with procrastination, is the, that not part of the things we need to address ourselves to? That we have this big motions, I will do that and I will take care of it, and then it ends with postponing it. And that too is a you know part of a psychological cycle of making the decisions about taking care of yourself and then going the whole cycle to ah, maybe tomorrow. So yeah, there might be an element of of I don't know, cynicism maybe is a good word. Could be. It's a possible. Yet I love the softness of it and the invitation after the anger all around in some of the other poems and the bitchiness as I pointed it out. Okay, but thank you for your question. And the name on your screen says Sherry Moss. So please repeat your name because I didn't get it. I'm You're Ned Goldstein. Yeah, I can see Sherry, but I guess it's not you. This is <laughs> okay, please remember to mute yourself so we can have one more speaker. Please just unmute and say your name. Nina, go. Unmute yourself. You know how to do that? I, yeah, yeah, I know. Thank you. Okay. Thank you for the lesson. I enjoyed it. I just wanted to know the Hebrew names, if you have, of the poem Saving by Anda Amir. Is it Agada. Tada. And the second one uh, uh, about Yetziat Mitzrayim, is this the name, Rachel Khalfi? Yeah, what about her? Is that the name of the poem? I didn't Correct. get it in English or in Hebrew. In Hebrew? Yeah, but you have it in Hebrew. I sent it to you in Hebrew. I didn't see. You didn't get the text? Oh. I, didn't, I didn't see it. Maybe That's it was there. Maybe it was there. I didn't see it. I saw the Arya Sivan I saw in Hebrew. No, on page three, you have Ech Fisfasti et Yetziat Mitzrayim. Just ah, okay. Is that okay. all, Nina? Yes, thank you very much. You are more than welcome. Please mute yourself. Do we have another? Please mute yourself, Nina. Thank you. And do I have another comment? Just unmute yourself and say your name. Thank you, Nina. Anybody? Anybody wants to make a comment? Ask a question. All you need is to unmute yourself and say your name. Batya, great to see you there. Okay. Uh, Rachel, I looked it up in the Haggadah. What follows after the exaggeration of the numbers of the plagues is Dayenu. Huh. 
So maybe the, the appearance of the beloved one is a Dayenu. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Okay. Thank you for doing that for it us. It would have That's been enough if she appeared, but then she helped me, and then she's my love. And... <laughs> what an optimistic ending to a bitter beginning. Yeah. Uh, I, I'd like to say just one little thing. In the first poem... Who is um, I? What's your name? Batya. 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 Ah, hi, Batya. Okay. <laughs> in, so the, in the... Things. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, in the um, in in the first poem, I think there's a hint. It's not just a domestic picture. Um, uh, it's not just a uh, it's not just a matter of of, of uh, feminine freedom. My my grandmother also fell asleep at the, at the table. That's that's all I can remember. Every Shabbat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so did mine. Uh, so um, did mine apparently. Yeah, but uh, but I get a hint there. I get a hint there of. Um, women not being allowed into religious ritual as well. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. No. But, but yes. from that yes. group yes. comes now the creation of the alternatives. The women uh -huh. said there's at Aleph yes. etc. Yes. And, yes. and you know, yes. you live in Israel, Batya, and you know about all these changes. Right, 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 right. Yes, no, not, yeah. and I know about yeah. Oranim too. Yes, yes. Yeah, so, yeah, Midrash yes. Oranim is very yes. strong yes. on that. Yes, uh -huh. yes. Also, Alma... Also, Meshiva Ruach in Jerusalem, lots of places. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for your comment. Please remember yeah. to mute yourself. Yeah. Anybody else? I'm waiting. I'm not in a hurry. Okay, so I think if that is the case, thank you very much for being thank with you. us. Please come back whenever you can. Lots of interesting programs. Check the program on Facebook and you will see tomorrow it's Silver Platter. Come back for that. Bye-bye, Laila Tov. I'm going to close the meeting and get ready with all the postings you need to have uh, later today for so that you can get ready for tomorrow. Bye-bye, Thank you so much. You're so welcome. It's the best part of my day. Laila <laughs> Tov. Also out. Have a great day over there and Laila Tov in Israel. עכשיו לא, נכון. טוב, איפה הן גרות? אחת גרה ביהודה הימית. כמה? ליד גלי צה"ל, 14. למה גם את גרה שם? יהודה הימית, 71. אוי, מה את אומרת? וואו, איזה יופי. יש לי תלמידות שלומדות אצלך ומעריצות אותך, ולכן אני הגעתי לשיעור. כל הכבוד, יופי שבאת, תביאי עוד חברות. אני דרך אגב הולכת לפתוח בשבוע הבא קבוצה בעברית. באמת? יופי, כן. אז אני, אני אשמח לשמוע על זה. אני אסתכל בפייס, בפייסבוק שלך, זה יהיה כתוב? כן, אני אעלה לשם הודעה. בסדר, ואני... זה היה היום או מחר, אבל תלוי כמה כוח יהיה לי עוד הערב. יופי. אני התחלתי להשתמש בזום, גם בשיעורים שלי, רק לפני שבועיים שמעתי על זום, ואני עדיין, אני מתפעלת מכל הדברים שאת מעלה, וזה, אני צריכה מישהו שילמד אותי לעשות את זה. אם את מכירה מישהו, תשלחי אותו אליי. נינה, נינה, תקשיבי. כן. האימייל שלי, תרשמי לך את הטלפון שלי, 
או נהדרת, רק רגע. כן, בבקשה. 0526. כן. 130-108. תצלצלי מחר בסביבות 11, כי אני בדרך כלל עובדת מאוחר, לא, ב-11 יש לי שיעור. תצלצלי מחר בסביבות 12 וחצי. 12 יופי. ואני אעשה לך שיעור דמה ואני אדריך אותך. וואו, איזה מקסימה. ממתי את גרה ביפו תמיד? עשר שנים, קודם גרתי הרבה שנים בסביבת ירושלים, בגילו ובמבשרת. אה, אז החלפנו, החלפנו. אני מיפו עברתי לירושלים, ואת עשית את הכיוון הפוך. אני מאוד אוהבת את יפו, תודה. Let me say, let me go back to English, because it's not so nice to speak. Oh, I'm sorry, sorry, I can speak English. My husband is from England. Okay, we can all speak English, otherwise we wouldn't be here. So thank you for being here, and I'm looking forward to see you in any of our next classes whenever you are ready. Please check yourself out, and I'm closing the class. Thank you. Bye-bye. You are more than welcome. My pleasure.